welcome to the Inside in Indian Country podcast, your premier source of accounting and business discussions affecting Indian Country. Presented by REDW. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be today, listening to us. You know, thank you for once again tuning into Inside in Indian Country. And today we got Chris Tyhurst, a principal with RDW. We're going to go through and talk about, you know, the healthcare industry, more specifically, you know, how it uh, ties to tribal healthcare. A lot of what Chris brings to the table today is just experience and, you know, kind of running through most of 2022. And he can provide some insight on some several key topics that, you know, affect tribal healthcare. And um, those of you listening in the healthcare industry, I'm sure can relate to a lot of what he's going to talk about today. And one of the biggest areas that you know we want to bring to the forefront for those listeners today is the labor shortage. You know, and 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 reviewing today, you know, just a quick you know look on Google, uh, U.S. News uh, shot out an issue about uh, there's still a significant number of labor shortage beyond even pre-pandemic levels. And, you know, that's obviously something that would carry into tribal healthcare. So, Chris, you know, maybe you won't want to provide our listeners just a quick, maybe, you know, update or what you've experienced with seeing and in, in you're working with, with tribal healthcare on, with respect to the labor shortage. Very good. Well, thank you, Wes. Um, appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, you know, those of you that work in healthcare and tribal healthcare, um, you know, certainly there's there's a lot of things that impact all health organizations, and, and a lot of this will sound very familiar. Uh, and there are some things that are very unique to tribal healthcare. So hopefully we can touch on on some of those things that might be unique as well. But uh, you know, the general labor shortage. I mean, you know, healthcare organizations are still seeing an unprecedented shortage of, of providers and frontline staff. Um, you know, a lot of organizations have have had to turn to you know. Know, traveling staff, traveling nurses, contractors, um, you know, some of which are, you know, also in very high demand, hard to find, and can be considerably more expensive, you know, than hiring, uh, you know, your own staff on site. And, and so it's been it's been a real challenge for CFOs the last couple of years uh, to manage those things and to budget for, you know, some increased costs. You know, some of the things we've seen, you know, to help counter that a little bit is coming up with creative compensation arrangements, um, retention agreements, uh, creative types of bonuses or stipends, maybe flexible scheduling, you know, among other things. You know, it's, you know, it's important to have all these things in place uh, supported by an updated human resources policies and procedures, uh, as well as um, some market compensation studies. Uh, you know, compensation studies are going to tell you if your organization is paying competitive salaries, wages, and benefits at all levels. And until you do a comparison like that, it's really hard to know. Um, you know, if you're having trouble hiring and bringing people on, then maybe consider a compensation study. Yeah, you know, you're not just competing against other healthcare organizations or other tribes, but really you're competing against all all the businesses in your area. And now, you know, with the remote environment, in some cases nationally, so um, compensation studies can be a very valuable tool to let you know if. If you're paying competitive uh, you know, salaries and wages, and, and doing them, then you can, you know, to attract and retain, um, you know, the best best staff. Um, yeah, you know, I'll add one other thing to this point um, that 
you know, impacts tribal healthcare organizations maybe more than than, than others. Uh, you know, tribal healthcare organizations often tend to be pretty in pretty rural locations, uh, and and housing becomes a big issue as well. So, you know, you can do a lot, you know, do all sorts of things to to pay a lot of money to bring in uh, providers and, and and medical staff, but you know, if they have nowhere to live nearby, it doesn't do any good. And so, you know, to attract and retain uh, these providers and medical staff, you need to have some some good housing. And so, investments in housing options could be you know, a, have a really good return on investment for the organization. And there's a number of ways to do that through partnerships, maybe with, with local, um, you know, either local hotels I've seen on a temporary basis or, you know, uh, getting contracts or grants to to build new housing uh, you know, there on site, which which really can make a big difference in your uh, recruiting and retention efforts. Yeah, Chris, that's those are some definitely some good points, you know, that you brought up with respect to traveling nurses, housing opportunities and as you mentioned you know just type of federal funding and, and contracts and that kind of leads us into segues us into this next topic of covid relief funds you know healthcare industry you know seen an unprecedented amount of of funding you know through the pandemic you know more specifically i think what you can speak more to is the uh, 23 billion in you know provider relief funds so i don't know if you want to maybe touch some base on that and maybe provide any of the listeners some ideas or tips or what you've seen with respect to that, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's been a challenge, you know, for tribal healthcare CFOs to navigate all the different different buckets of COVID relief funds that come in. Yeah, well, you know, the money has been very beneficial to helping um, supplement tribal health organizations during the pandemic. Um, it is it is a challenge for CFOs. One thing to remember is um, not all CARES or ARPA or you know COVID related funds are the same. Um, there are different buckets. Uh, in which they come through uh, and have different uses and different requirements. Tribal government's got a lot of their money through the treasury, both through CARES and ARPA. For tribal healthcare organizations, a lot of these CARES and and ARPA funds were passed through uh, Indian Health Service uh, through funding agreements and, uh, you know, added on to your funding agreement in a lot of ways. And and these may or may not have very specific COVID-related requirements. Some some do and some don't, but in, in general, there's less guidance out there on how to use these IHS COVID-related funds than there is for the treasury funds that the, the tribal government receives, uh, which have you know hundreds of pages of, of guidance and, and FAQs. Uh, the, the IHS funds have you know, very, very little in terms of how, how they're to be used. So just understand that they're different, different buckets, different types of um, funding. And then you mentioned the provider relief fund, um, which, which of course is, a, is another funding source, and I'm sure most everybody that's listening to this podcast has, has you know, have, has had quite a bit of experience with the provider relief fund over the last couple of years. Uh, it's starting to wind down a little bit, uh, but there still are some reporting requirements and some auditing requirements uh, that still linger, and, and it's important to to understand that um, you know there, there's different periods in which you receive the provider relief funds and and then that corresponds to different periods in which you can use them and report them and then even different periods in which they get audited and so be sure to you know check the provider relief fund website check with your uh, with your CPAs and consultants to to understand you know what the reporting requirements are when they have to be reported and when they have to be audited so there there's still some still lingering out there uh, that need to be reported and audited these last couple of um, 
periods that they're received, but it is it is starting to wind down. And and ultimately, I think, you know, again, with this one, there's there's actually a lot of guidance out there, a lot of FAQs, but bottom line is, you know, this funding may only be used to prepare for, prevent, and respond to COVID or to be used to replace lost revenues. And so it's just important that you have really solid documentation around the reports that you submit um, to HRSA and the uh, expenditures that you, you spend on those uh, provider relief funds. Yeah, hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for uh, clarifying more too, as well as the other various, you know, funding buckets that, you know, that uh, tribal healthcare facilities receive. It's not all just, you know, provider relief funds. There's also, uh, you know, COVID-19 funding funding through different, you know, agencies and and, and, and other, your other grants. So be sure to, to stay on top of that. You know, you mentioned that it does take some sort of understanding of where, you know, a lot of this funding comes from and it does require some experience. So with that being said, you know, you know what are your thoughts on, you know, just having, you know, the proper organization structure, which, you know, would start with, you know, the health of board, you know, and their experience and helping a CFO navigate through the various funding sources or opportunities that a uh, tribal healthcare facility may thrive. Yeah, as the, you know, as the healthcare industry continues to evolve and become more complex, it's, it's critically important that the tribal health boards understand the important factors impacting their organizations. And so, you know, it's 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 even more important nowadays to have um, you know, a broad range of experience and training from the health boards uh, in order to, to really allow these organizations to throw it, to grow and to thrive. The role of the health board member has become increasingly complex as well. There's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things that they have to know, uh, and, it, and you should have a variety of um, education, and skill sets, and professionals represented on your health board. You know, you certainly want you know some community members and and some, some tribal leadership involved, uh, but you should also you know, consider having individuals from the you know, from the medical field, you know, for sure, uh, legal, financial, and accounting. Uh, you, you know, to have a variety of, of skill sets on that board is, is really important. You know, the board is primarily responsible for for setting the strategic direction of the organization and making sure that that management is operationalizing that strategic plan appropriately. So um, having that. So that dividing line, that distinction, you know, it's it's not up to the board to run the organization. They set the strategic plan and then they charge management with, with carrying that out. And it's, and it's management who's in charge of the day-to-day stuff. You know, one, one of the most important uh, responsibilities of a, of a board member, any board member, but certainly you know, it becomes very important when in the, in the tribal communities and tribal healthcare is, is the, the fiduciary responsibility. Uh, board members have a fiduciary responsibility to the communities that they serve, you know, to ensure that the organization is is using its limited resources in the most effective and efficient way. And uh, and board members, you know, part of that fiduciary responsibility is also being alert to the risks of, of fraud and abuse. So, you know, it's important for for all board members and and tribal health board members, uh, you know, included, to, to have some you know financial acumen, you know, to to be able to at least understand financial metrics and key performance indicators uh, enough so that they can, you know, they can spot red flags and make sure that the organization is using the funds appropriately and that there aren't instances of, of abuse or, or fraud occurring uh, you know, right under, under their watch. And so, you know, there's, 
a lot of a lot of responsibility on those on those health boards, and it's important that you get the right skill sets in there, and, and you know and they get the right they get the right training as well on an ongoing basis. Yeah, that's those are some good points, Chris. It's especially you know in the next two topics we're going to talk about. It's good to have somebody on the board that understands you know accounting, uh, finance. That's definitely somebody you want to consider. Uh, having on your board and, you know, kind of segues us into this next topic of lease accounting. Um, in addition to that, you know, our topic after that, Chris will expand on a little bit is, you know, the discussion on growth and expansion. So you definitely might want to have somebody on your board that has some sort of, you know, construction experience, planning experience, you know, has gone through the process so they can guide the organization properly to make sure that the implementation of any new accounting or growth and expansion is successful at the end of the day. So, you know, Chris, maybe you can touch a little more on, you know, the lease accounting uh, that, that will be hitting treble um, healthcare uh, enterprises here soon. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a CFO in, in any industry, really, at this point, uh, that includes tribal governments and tribal healthcare, um, you, you likely have heard a lot about the new lease accounting standard. Yeah, there were some delays. You know, due to COVID, you know, that came up over the last couple of years, but uh, the time is, is here now. And uh, the, the GASB standard is effective for fiscal year 22. Uh, BASB standard is effective for fiscal year 23. So one of the things to think about in a, in a healthcare organization type setting is, you know, there's, there's often a lot of leases, medical equipment. And these, these contracts can be very complex. Um, and they may include components that are subject to the lease standards and, and other components that are not. Um, so it's important to take a look at all these different contracts and evaluate them for you know, which ones are apply the leasing standard and which ones don't. Uh, even, even a simple lease like a copy machine may include a, a minimum amount of toner and paper that must be purchased. And you know, is the question, you know, is that part of the lease calculation or is it not? And there's and there's different requirements you have to look at to, to make that determination. A lot of different requirements for the lease term, you know, different requirements for cancelable and renewable periods, depending on who can cancel or renew the lease and whether you know, the option is reasonably certain to be an exercise. Some of the questions we see in, in you know with tribes and tribal organizations is, you know, how do we treat intercompany leases? You know, those that are between the tribe and one of its enterprises or component units. You know, if you're if your tribal healthcare organization is a component unit that's you know discreetly presented component units or a you know, separate legal entity with its own board, uh, then typically leases are treated just like a third-party lease. So your lease, if you have a lease between your organization and, and the tribal government, it would be treated like any other lease and go on the balance sheet. Um, however, if you're an enterprise fund, uh, then leases with the tribal government were generally eliminated in the tribe-wide statements. So uh, a lot of things to think about. Uh, a lot of things to think about whether you're a GASB or a FASB entity as well. You know, some tribal healthcare organizations are are actually FASB entities, you know, separate standalone nonprofits that you know, might be a consortium of, of several different tribes or you know, just a separate nonprofit organization that serves a, a particular community. Uh, and then many are, are GASB entities because they are associated, owned by, by a tribal government. So just understand which uh, you know, the type of entity you are and which which of the requirements apply. You know, there are some subtle differences and, and there are some differences in terms of the, um, you know, the timeline in which they, they must be implemented. Yeah, those are, those are great points, Chris. And I think probably one of the biggest things that you probably want to communicate out there to, to the listeners is 
don't wait until the audit starts, <laughs> you know, because you don't want to be trying to pull your documentation during the week, the auditors out there and try to figure all this out, you know, really plan and, and do this ahead of time. So you have some good conclusions on your decisions and you can provide that to the auditors so that there's no delays and you know other questions circling around. You got it all situated. And I'm sure that would help the team with uh, less uh, growing of white hair, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, we went to the last topic here, you know, just with, talking about uh, tribal healthcare facilities and enterprises and, you know, is, is growth and expansion. I just want to give your thoughts on what you think of growth and expansion and tribal healthcare. Where do you think it's going here? Yeah. So, you know, in, in recent years, um, you know, tribal healthcare has kind of, you know, moved beyond the initial steps, you know, of, of 15, 20 years ago uh, where, you know, where tribes were just starting to take over the healthcare operations from IHS and run their own uh, clinics and hospitals and that kind of thing, and, and you know, just getting their feet on the ground. Uh, you know, as as these organizations have grown and evolved, and the needs of the uh, of the communities have evolved, um, you know, there's there's been the opportunity to um, provide more services, to expand facilities, and and to you know to to meet the growing needs of the community. In order to do this, uh, you know, careful planning and forecasting is critical to ensure the success of any new project or any new venture. So maybe you're looking to build a, uh, a new clinic. Maybe you're looking to expand services into a new new area. You know, maybe you're you're adding a, you know, perhaps an oncology uh, department, maybe a skilled nursing facility. You know, anything like that uh, takes a lot of uh, careful planning, and uh, you know often the forecast or a, or a projection or a feasibility study uh, can be an important tool to, to assess the viability of these projects. You know, these studies provide for you know, kind of different scenarios and assumptions, and, and they predict the likely financial impact of each. You know, are, are they viable and what's the best, what's the best route to go? You know, it's, it's, it's probably just a, a best practice to do something like this in any type of big project. But in some cases, you, you may have lenders or grantors that, that require you to do this and require you to get this done and submit it as a part of the um, grant process or the loan. In some cases, the you know the, the lender or the grantor may actually require that a CPA be involved and, and perhaps even provide some level of assurance to examine the, the forecast or projection. And so it's just important to understand uh, what's required by your lender, by your grantor, what level of service that you need uh, in order to to um to do these types of feasibility studies and, and forecasts and, and projections. Uh, and lastly, I'll just I'll add to this too. There is, you know, there are a lot of um, funding sources available out there to, to do these sort of things more and more all the time, uh, with a lot of the new federal legislation, new federal dollars. Obviously, uh, your financial institutions, you know, can help. Um, but you know, there's federal funding through programs such as the, the IHS Small Ambulatory Program. Uh, for for you know, building new clinic buildings and things like that, the USDA even has programs. Uh, they call them their community facilities programs uh, to to help expand and grow um, you know healthcare services in rural areas. Um, so USDA was one which maybe you wouldn't think normally would be a um, federal agency you turn to for um, for healthcare, but but it does, there are some programs available through that as well. So that's just to name a couple, but there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, funding sources out there, a lot of opportunities to really 
you know, grow and expand and, and, and you know, really just you know, provide, you know, expanded and better healthcare services to the, the growing needs of, of, of the communities. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to get with our listeners today, provide some, some good insight on, you know, these, these uh, topics that probably somewhere or fashion affect, you know, a, a tribal finance CFO in, in the healthcare industry. Man, just kind of thinking about it, is it, it's kind of stressing me to try to see if in the healthcare industry is it, but um those of you listening and you have any questions, anything pops up, always feel free to contact and reach out to Mr. Chris Tyers here at our RDW. Um, you can always reach us in, in our website or you know, we'll have a link in the description of, of the podcast. You can easily get in there um, and reach out to him if you have any questions. This the whole purpose of this this effort is to bring information to you. Maybe it's something that you haven't thought about, but it's now something that you need to think about. And, you know, we're here as a resource, you know, Chris, um, you know, as, as we come to a close, really want to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, just in closing what you think a, a listener should take away from this, maybe just uh, one key point, you know, and that, that you can think about if it's three or two, you know, that that's fine. Well, I just want to get your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, I think the key takeaway is that there are, there are so many opportunities, and you know, coming coming out of COVID, um, you know, there there may be some of that uh, COVID funding that's drying up a little bit, um, but but there remains to be a lot of a lot of needs in the communities and a lot of opportunities to to service them. And and I think you know we've we've seen so many examples of you know of well-run tribal health organizations that have been extremely successful very profitable and, and able to to use those profits to expand and grow and, and, and provide more services to the communities. And so it's just, you know, it's really neat to see it. And, and you know, I, I think it's, you know, it provides opportunities that, that um, you know, haven't been there in the past and, and, and it keeps getting better uh, in terms of the, you know, the quality of the healthcare delivery uh, to tribal communities. So it's just, it's neat to see. All right, Chris. Well, Hey, we thank you for your time and thank you for joining us today. And, Looking forward to you know, future podcasts or any updates on any of these issues. And more importantly, for those of you listening, any anything that's popped up in this discussion, or maybe even something that we haven't covered, you know, feel free to, you know, send out a, a note to us. And uh, we could definitely cover that in, in future discussions. But you know, Chris, you know, thank you for your time and appreciate all your insight and and for the betterment of uh, uh tribal healthcare facilities out there and providing CFOs with some 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 good guidance and uh, good information to think about. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Thanks, Wes. Thank you for listening. We hope this time has benefited you. For more information or to connect, please visit redw.com.